are listening to True Crime Fiction, feeding your addiction to the best of the written and the spoken word in crime. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so for as little as £1 at patreon.com slash truecrimefiction. Britain and the nursing profession have been rocked by the trial of Lucy Letby. For those who do not know this case, Letby was a placid-looking neonatal nurse, loved by patients' parents to the extent one couple considered making her a godmother to their child, whom she tried to kill, and well-liked among colleagues. There has been general shock and amazement at her crimes, Now she has been found guilty and is facing dying in prison, the whole country has turned to try and make sense of what happened. There have been baby killers before. Probably the most well-known are the baby farmers of the Victorian era who helped women for a fee who had given birth outside of wedlock by taking their child in and caring for them. With no societal safety net and a huge stigma against unwed mothers, it may have for some been an act of kindness, many thinking their babies were going to be adopted by childless but loving couples. However, the practice was rife with greed and duplicity, and there are several well-known cases of baby farmers murdering children, sometimes immediately after receiving them into their care. This, of course, led to changes in the law and greater protection for children from abuse and cruelty. The practice of murdering babies is not totally confined to the Victorian era, though. Beverly Allett was a nurse who was convicted in the early 1990s of also killing babies in her care. We also know that medical murderers can be difficult to catch. There is the fact that most medical murders are not necessarily violent or bloody. There is little gore to leave a trail. Therefore, it can take some time before a pattern emerges. Once a pattern has, we can also see that often disbelief comes into play. Wrapping your mind round the fact that a colleague who you have worked alongside for years, sometimes in very tough circumstances, can be doing the exact opposite of what your shared vacation is meant to do, must be terrible. Once it is sunk in, there is then the layers of bureaucracy to get through. We can see in Letby's case that hospital bosses who ignored warnings and forced whistleblowers to apologise to Letby are currently under a lot of pressure to take responsibility and resign. An inquiry will be opened and it is safe to say there will be some harsh judgments. We have seen this aspect of the case before as well, when Harold Shipman, the grandfatherly-looking and well-loved GP, was convicted of killing an estimated 250 victims. The ripples of shock lasted for some time and changes were made to prescribing and death certificate practices. We are certainly only at the beginning of the process of investigating what exactly happened with Letby and what changes need to be made to make sure it does not happen again. 
essentially the unthinkable has now become thinkable. That thought, now crystallised in society's consciousness, demands action. Action while being able to prevent the possibility of similar behaviour, though, does not address the big question which most people will be asking. Why? For the vast majority of people, their attitude to babies is somewhere between the spectrum of I'm happy for others but don't want one of my own to I absolutely adore them. I myself exist at the higher end of the absolute adoration scale but have many friends and acquaintances who have made the active decision not to pursue parenthood for various reasons. It's hard to imagine somebody hating babies but also someone who hated babies becoming a neonatal nurse, given that the job can bring huge rewards but also great lows. Losing a baby you've fought hard to help keep alive must be a terrible experience for any medical professional to go through. So it is hard to understand if someone actively hated babies why they would choose to specifically go into caring for the most fragile and vulnerable ones and supporting their parents through such a worrying time. The prosecution during the trial put forward several theories as to why Letby may have done what she did. One is that she was infatuated with a doctor on the ward. Another that she had low self-esteem. None of them really feel like they wholly grasp at and cling on to the truth of what happened. It is the most human of things to do to search for meaning. Often, the more difficult the circumstances, the more it rocks beliefs that at our core, the more compelled we feel to search for that meaning. Meaning helps us make sense of things when the world appears particularly chaotic or counterintuitive. This need for meaning can become all-consuming, and what we choose to give meaning to says a lot about ourselves and the society and culture around us. Letby's crimes were indeed counterintuitive. They went against how we expect people to behave around babies. They went against what we believe the nursing profession stands for, They also went against the image that Letby portrayed, one newspaper calling her beige. She was pretty much the poster girl for the sometimes sexist slur, basic. It's now obvious that under her seemingly placid exterior, a range of emotions and low self-worth were battling it out. Is that enough to explain what she did? The answer is probably no. Her crimes being too big and too shocking to put down purely to low self-worth, we will for years to come have investigative journalists, podcasters, true crime writers poring over Lucy's life and trying to find something, anything, that will explain the conundrum she presents us with. However, I strongly suspect that in most of these cases, It will be a difficult process to find that black pearl of wisdom, mainly because I strongly suspect that Letby herself has no idea why she has done these things. Maybe her time in prison will bring her clarity that can be useful for those who aim to prevent a repetition of this abhorrence. 
So often in culture, the serial killer is portrayed as a master criminal like Moriarty, able to think hundreds of steps ahead in the chess game he plays with Sherlock Holmes, who is also at the same time taking on an intellectual feat that possibly only AI could really do justice to. This image of the serial killer is full of bombast, sound and fury. It's almost a pantomime portrayal of aberration, designed to give us the comfort of specific and traceable reasons. So, even when bad things happen, we can snuggle into the comfort of knowing why, not just how. Real life is not so quick, so easy. Being what it is, fallible, messy, and sometimes incoherent, those of us with the privilege to only read through this case rather than live through it, will at some point have to settle with the truth that a lot of the time we ourselves don't know why we do things. So expecting a serial killer, someone whose inner life is so vastly different to our own, to somehow magically give us the answers to comfort us from their crimes is highly unlikely. This week I have been watching The Patient on Disney+. Plus. This series stars Donald Gleeson and Steve Carroll. Gleeson is a serial killer who, finding traditional therapy is not working for him, kidnaps his therapist to help him work to stop killing. The premise of the show is farcical. However, what we really get is an incredibly thoughtful written piece of television, which is brought wonderfully to life by Gleason and Carol, touching on questions such as what are life's blessings, its challenges, and what and how we hide from ourselves and others. This beautifully paced series deserves accolades and should be a must-watch for any crime fan. You have been listening to True Crime Fiction, the podcast that is feeding your addiction to all things crime. You can find our website at true-crime-fiction.com, on Twitter at true underscore crime underscore fic, on Facebook and Instagram as True Crime Fiction. Please rate and review on the podcast app of your choice. Music is by Kitty Kitty Meow Meow.